My next guest probably has one of the coolest jobs in the world. He's the backbone, the timekeeper. He's the drummer for Gary Clark Jr., the artist who Rolling Stone magazine dubbed just last year the savior of all things music. Join us as we discuss Johnny's life beginnings in Miami, up to the University of Florida, a move to Austin to initially drum for one of my favorite bands, the Greyhounds, and the formation of the Gary Clark Jr. Band as we know it today in 2011. He's toured the world, played the highest caliber shows, and lets us in on why Red Rocks Amphitheater was so important this time around, and so scary. We're here in legendary Sunset Sound Studios in Hollywood, California. Let's go. Right, Mr. Johnny Radelat hey, hey. in studio. Studio two here, sir. Right here. How are you? Good, man. Good. After sitting in an hour of traffic. <laughs> Good. All right. Well, let's get a little sense of who you are for listeners. You were born in Jersey City. Jersey City, New Jersey. Christ Hospital. Joyzy. Yeah. And how long did you hang around Jersey for? Your family did. Um, we moved from. The Ho- Ho- you know Hoboken, New Jersey. Oh yeah, that area specifically, Union City, New Jersey. Um, when I was fourteen, my dad's um, work relocated him to Miami, which was an incredible change of scenery because you know that whole area of Jersey was kind of ravaged in the late eighties by crack cocaine. Ooh. And all that. <laughs> I just watched Cocaine Cowboys. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, and then we moved to Miami, where it was a different kind of scene, but very steeped in, you know, the post. And you are what age at that point? I was fourteen when we moved down there, um, and this was, you know, early nineties. Uh, and, and you start and playing the drums then. Started playing the drums, yeah, right around then, like a, a year or two into living in, in Miami, kind of. Uh, Just a friend had him in the garage, and you're like, hey, I want to sit down even. and fuck I, around I, I didn't or? play a, a drum set until about a year or two after already playing. Marching band. Just marching, like snare drum concert band types. Rudiments, paradiddles. Yeah, and I kind of, at home, I had a little makeshift um I had this Mickey Mouse drum kit that my parents got me when I was a toddler. I don't know if you probably you probably remember them or have seen photos of them. Yeah, I had um, one of those as well. Yeah, my dad was a drummer. I started playing when I was thirteen as well, yeah. and I'm just I was trying to think of what set I had. It was like some beat down, you know, the toms yeah. didn't match the bass drum, etc. Right. I had like a couple. I had like the the bass drum pedal that came with that thing from when I was a kid, and I remember pulling that out and like putting it up against a box and like had my practice pad because I was taking, I was doing concert band in, in middle school in Miami and uh, got a, like one of those metal um, lunch boxes as a hi-hat and like makeshift drum set to like Whatever, learn basic beats. And yeah, so when I, by the time I sat down on an actual drum kit, it was incredible because I was like, oh, yeah. this is really explosive now. Yeah. Did you fall in love right off the bat? Um, yeah, I kind of always, or you like, didn't know what love was for the drums then? I kind of knew it before I, before I was playing, just from, honestly, from watching, um, MTV videos growing up. <laughs> God, man, we were just talking about that. That's so, can you even find MTV videos anymore? I mean, we were just, right. I'm doing music videos here with my friend Ezra, and like, you know, November Rain, I watch that sometimes, mm-hmm. and Hurt by Johnny Cash are probably the two 
if not the best, but two of the best music videos ever. And those yeah. were just so. I remember the live Paradise City video, Guns N' oh, Roses. That, that really like got me as a kid. I was like, oh, this is amazing. Literally, two million rockers across the USA probably got on their Greyhound in their local little city in Indiana and uh, headed west after seeing right. the video. <laughs> their story too of those guys living on Clark right behind the Whiskey a Go Go, and yeah. you know that. That whole scene. I used to get in trouble for watching, remember, Headbangers Ball. It started like 11 p.m. on a Saturday night or something. Yep. And I would sneak into the living room and turn it on. My parents would come out and see me watching like an Ozzy Osbourne video. What was that video? Uh, Bark at the Moon. Oof. Which was, a, my, my dad's like, I, what are you into? <laughs> it was right after Beavis and Butthead, I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I love that too. So you, you're you doing marching band all through high school. You got a little set at home. Um, mm -hmm. Then you playing with pickup groups? Um, or just strictly? The first thing I was doing, because I was very into metal and punk rock, um, my parents were cool enough to allow me to have kids that were three and four years older than me already in high school come to our garage and play Slayer and Pantera covers nice. and Iggy Pop, DRI covers and Stooges covers and that's great. I mean, yeah. your parents really have to set. My, like I said, my dad was originally a drummer, a band called the Monarchs. Um, but you know, their influence on music and also their uh, just letting you kind of be open to having. You know, I'm sure that you guys are smoking some weed and hanging out and. Um, you know, I don't know how open music. they were. Just that. having a drum set alone is. Uh, I was doing that, and they knew about it, but they weren't happy about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, shouldn't smoke but weed actually till you're 26. I, I think I think now they're a little bit more open-minded about it and understand that that may be lended to putting me on this path. Which you know, I hope that's what they think. <laughs> you're from Cuban family. Yep, both my parents. Um, Two hablas español. See, hablo español. Oh fuck! It was, it was, it was <laughs> my first my, my first language was Spanish, man. Um, oh wow! I yeah. didn't. I moved down to uh, Miami after high school just because I had to get out of the Midwest freezing cold, and I lived with a Cuban family in Kendall and well, that's Coral where, Gables. Yeah, that's where I grew up. Seventy fifth Street by the Sunset Mall. There. Okay. Yeah. I was nineteen, working at a place called Lunel bartending. I lied on my application and. It was probably two of the coolest years of my life. I just wanted to be around hot yeah. women and hot women. And Sunset Mall is right by. I went to junior high at Glades, which is right there. Oh, I know. Yeah, yeah. I was my friend's younger brother. Like went to that school, yeah. so we were probably passing each other. And the little food mart right there on the corner. Do you know yeah. that? That's amazing. I lived yeah. in the apartments right there. Go to the Latin America Cafe. Is that on Seventy right Fifth? It's or? on. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's on Sunset Road, and Ninety Seventh. Have. That's but, yeah, right there also. Um, then you go to college in Gainesville for University of Florida. Went to University of Florida. Um, yeah. And you're drumming still? Or you're kind no, of just focused I, on I, school? I and stopped that? drumming. I honestly, I was playing in bands in high school, and I was always the one that my friends in, in the bands I was playing with would be like, come on, dude, let's practice, let's practice, let's practice. And I was like, what are we doing? Like, What's this the point of this? Yeah. Um, not that I didn't love it. I just didn't. Miami wasn't really a nurturing music scene on a small level. If you, you couldn't go to like, especially at the age I was at, when being under 18, couldn't go anywhere and like see bands play. There was no like 
aspiration of anything except for either playing or it was all in my head it was you're either playing arenas or you're not doing it and um and I was just interested in other things at the time I actually wanted to study certain things in college that had nothing to do with music and psychology psychology and statistics yeah is that what your degrees in yep and uh Gainesville it's party school kind of party school and actually great music scene at the time oh, wow. which I didn't learn about till after I was there for a couple of years and kind of stumbled into some old friends that were that I played in bands with in Miami in high school and and was that a band called something phonics so the soul phonics or something or soul phonics was a little bit later I, okay um, that wasn't out of but yeah that was a Gainesville thing too oh, okay so and they're still around there. they're based out of Atlanta now but Ruby Vell and the soul phonics yeah and you do some of the guys from there and then um yeah I was one of the founding members of that band um, oh wow but yeah I was in a I was in a reggae rock band in Gainesville that was my after not playing for four years I always loved reggae and I never thought about playing it or conceptualized it on drums because um, it's a you know reggae is an ass backwards thing if you grow up playing rock and roll and most western musics um, on the kit um, a friend of mine was writing songs in the style and it's like, would you be interested in playing this stuff? I'm like, I give it a shot, and we, you know, we worked it out and had a little bit of luck right up, right off the bat regionally. Um, we were great show promoters, um, which a completely different game back then. Luck, so it's not so much luck as much as we worked our asses off to just make our shows a party and get people that in the doors and. Um, and that was a real chore then. You didn't have a Facebook event page or an Instagram right, account. Right. You're that going around like, with flyers and begging people. I lived people with and... a staple gun and tape in my in my bag. and it's Three times as hard as it is now. Yeah, I mean, but that was, reach... that was all so much fun. Like I, Yeah, that built who you were today. Yeah. Um, what? How'd you get to Austin? You'd been there once or twice. You loved it. I mean, I, me going, I've been there three times now, mm -hmm. and I'm just like, I, I got to move here. When yeah. I went and saw you guys at Stubbs, it was 102 degrees, and you Is know. Is that just recently? The, right, your first night, right or second Austin night City at Stubbs. Special, yeah, yeah. Um, that place. I mean, just that whole area, and yeah. not too big on Sixth Street, uh, but um, you know, just the. It seems I heard you say in another interview that everything was so attainable there. It just seems like it's at right that at time, your doorstep. It's, it's not like L.A. I mean, just to play a venue though. Yeah. I mean, when I got out of Stubbs after your show, there was four bars and venues right on that corner there that yeah. all had music going on. The one was playing metal, one was had some singer songwriter country music, and I'm just like, wow, it's just everywhere, and everyone's friendly. I mean, is that considered Southern hospitality down there? Yeah, I guess it's you know. I mean, anything even, even LA, coming from Gainesville, and Gainesville is pretty southern. I moved I moved from Gainesville there, and well, the reason why I moved there, I it was for over a girl. Um, and also, I'd visited there a couple times and noticed that it was affordable living, a um, lot of arts and music going on. Um, Is this uh, late '90s? No, this was no, this was mid 2000s. Okay. Yeah. Um, about 2006. Before the secret was fully out. 
Yeah, it was at the time when I moved there, people were saying, "Oh, Austin's changed," but like compared to now, it was you know, it was still a really small, small town, big city thing. Like that's what really made me fall in love with it. Yeah, because we stayed out by the college, but in two minutes you're downtown, and in two minutes you're out in yeah. the country. And I mean, I guess coming from LA, which is thirty miles spread out, it was it's any place is refreshing. I love LA, but. Um, it just there's a sense of community, and that's kind of or a sense of normalcy, maybe. Um, that I guess yeah. it's just from community living here for is a good years. word, a good word for, it, especially in the music scene, especially back then. That was what that was thirteen to fifteen years ago. Um, you could literally like any night of the week, you know, there'd be a weekly gig or some event where you knew all the musician, musicians you know in town were gonna be in that one room. And the yeah, there was, there was a real community, especially within certain niches, like within like blues, funk, soul music, reggae circle was one thing. And then there was, you know, indie rock scene, then there was a punk rock scene and um, they're all really tight and incestuous. Everybody played in five different bands with the same circle of musicians and I'll pick up and just everyone. Yeah. And I, I got super lucky when I moved there. Like I, I had, I had a couple of, you know, bad breaks with bands as far as, you know, bands just like struggling. It's, it's a tough business as you know. Um, and struggling you know, getting success or with drugs, struggling or with getting success and just sustaining, the things without somebody having to get a nine to five or, you know, not being able to sustain being on the road. Um, cause it's costly, you know, oh. um, especially at a level where you're, you know, just, just getting going, like just that, jumping to a regional level is insanely yeah. And difficult. we were, you know, a couple of the bands I was in in Gainesville were su somewhat successful regionally in the Southeast, but the second you get out of that region, it's, you know, you're you're bleeding money um and you know just mishaps and missteps i, I, I was kind of sitting around in gainesville not doing much and the music scene that's simultaneously in gainesville is kind of dying off as the academia of the university of florida in, increased the arts and music scene decreased yeah. if you know what i mean yeah um all my so. friends are musicians and that brings in you know a lot of guys start drinking then too when they can't get work and they start, you know, doing other yeah. shit and it's just uh, depression. I've had, you know, gotten little bouts of that where it's like, oh God, what am I doing? This is, I think I'm going to, you know, be a, a Live Nation promoter or I'm going to, you know, be famous and you come out here, it's very... It's overwhelming. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's just like, <laughs> all right, maybe I should listen to everyone else or maybe I should, yeah, you know, you just have a lot of self-doubt in those situations where it's not happening right off the bat. And yeah. Um, you know, it's great now for like podcasts like this or like Joe Rogan or somebody and you get on there and it's just people that have really made it in comedy or your case, you know, I mean, you're touring everywhere right now with probably one of the greatest guitars, guitarists ever. And it's just, you know, cause you stuck with it and you, that's what you wanted to do. And, you know, even if, um, you know, I found that if you want to make a musician, make a living as a musician, you just do it, you know, and you have to yeah, have a great that's, attitude that's first. kind of it. And you gotta be resilient and... Because you're really working with others nonstop, and you just—I mean—you have to really yeah. be open to things and not have an ego, and just yeah. play your role if that's the part. But also, you know, it's a business, and you're making a living. So if you have to play, you know, 
90s covers to pay yeah. the rent and that's what you do and yeah you know all that being said also i mean i i didn't up until about nine years ago i didn't fully let go of my side gigs of my side jobs oh, like yeah. bartending waiting tables i was doing all that simultaneously when i first moved to austin and i got lucky and jumped right into i, I moved in the summer of 2006 to austin when i found out speaking of depression and drug abuse and all those things i found out austin had had this thing called ham health alliance for Austin musicians you probably, oh, yeah. you probably heard of it. it's yeah it's some, uh, incredible one of a kind <laughs> in the u.s there's nothing like it there's health no insurance, program like dental. that anywhere else yeah and at the time yeah you'd get free if you you didn't even have to do music full-time if you just if you were giving it a shot and trying to make money, a certain you had amount of money going. somewhere or something it, yeah I'm not even if you just played a certain amount of gigs in in the city, you'd get free healthcare, free dental, free um, outpatient drug rehabilitation. Oh wow! Um, free mental health care. Who started that? Um, I'm gonna forget the names, but there was a local, somewhat celebrity who passed away. I think of suicide. Um, due to undiagnosed um, Jesus mental disorder. Um, and his family, along with a group of people, Carolyn Schwartz, I think, is one of the ladies who, who's had a big hand in getting things going. But um, they, they rallied together and lobbied with the city. They're like, look, um, all the, you're bringing up, bringing, there's, such and such amount of tourism revenue coming into the city and you could prove on paper that it's it's coming into the city because of the music scene here and if we're not taking care of our musicians then our tourism revenue is gonna is gonna yeah. drop so the city lended them a hand and then there were big you know a lot of people like big companies like well at the time they weren't a big company but whole foods at the oh, time, wow. was starting up, and they were a large donator, and like, Is that so they got this tourism revenue from the city and a lot of donation money, um, and yeah, have a pool of money, and also the the actual dentist office, doctor's office, offices, and all the professionals that were willing to give, give a them hammer a discounted or rate. Yeah. yeah, exactly. That's incredible. We do the whole country to do that. Yeah, and it kind of that was one of the that was one of the the big major reasons for me to move that was like oh this is obviously whether or not this oh, it works out for me as a career here there's obviously a a vibe going on here where people are treating each other the right way and thinking progressively mm -hmm. and collectively you know yeah that's huge because when you're getting paid as a musician you're getting cash and a lot of people don't even know how to get health insurance or they don't know that there is resources out there for mental health or they don't right, know that they have to get right. their teeth cleaned every six months or yeah. once a year at least and it's like you know i've been a, a, a culprit of that where i've gone like five years i'm like holy shit yeah. maybe i should get my teeth cleaned and then they go in there and they're like oh fuck you need a deep cleaning i don't think i went to a dentist for 10 years before <laughs> moving to austin yeah it didn't hurt so yeah. it's all good um but yeah there was that was a big reason and then also the week i was going to pack my car and go i called i knew a handful of musicians from austin um including andrew and anthony from a band called the greyhounds Oof, great band you know yeah. love the greyhounds yeah incredible band um incredible guys they 
I lucked the fuck out. They, uh, they're like, hey, we don't have a drummer right now, and we're playing Austin, this new festival, Austin City Limits, wow. in two weeks. Um, and I was like, cool, I'm packing my car, I'm moving up there. You land in Austin, you get a gig drumming for the Greyhounds. Yeah. Um, and that came, that came of from playing in regional bands in Florida because they're such road dogs. They would come through Florida once every few months. Um, and, you know, did shows, you know, that band Mofro, which was, is from oh, JJ Gray Mofro. Yeah, we just drove through their, uh, that Tuscaloosa, or what's the name of the song he has? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's right yeah. in Florida there. Um, he um, has a great song about it. Yeah, yeah, where you could get some killer alligator and uh, <laughs> frog legs and food. Oh. Weird food like that possum, maybe even. My, um. <laughs> my lady was driving with me and we were bumping that song uh, going right through there. Yeah. Waka, Waka, Yeah, I can't think of it either. But um, figure it out. But yeah, those guys would come through and do shows with, with that band and some other Florida bands. And I kind of befriended them from either opening for them or, or like hosting, having them stay at my house, you know, since we were the, we were the opening band. Um, and you at that and, point where yeah. you're like, wow, this is fucking awesome. I'm yeah, I'm, no, so I'm working. Got, I, I got a gig playing with a band that I was a fan of, and Stanton Moore had produced their first album. Who he's he was, you know, Stanton Moore from I don't, Galactic. Um, I know them. Yeah, he was the drummer for Galactic. Who one of oh, okay. one, like a really, um, in, like a, an experience that had a huge imprint on me was. Um, seeing Galactic at a small club in Gainesville when I was in college. This was while I wasn't playing drums. Um, and I remember walking into this room and people are literally standing on cocktail tables and stools to be able to watch the drummer because he was so charismatic and, you know, he was just this force. Um, yeah, Stan Moore is the shit. Uh, and he produced he, the Greyhounds record? He produced their first record. And so I was a huge fan of the band and, you know, to... to do that gig was yeah it was awesome so then we're talking like 2008 then maybe a year or two yeah that was kind of... that was that was i mean that was right when i moved up there so yeah that was summer two, that was 2006 going on 2007 did you hit the road instantly or were you going on little five city tours with them? um yeah i was i was doing road trips with them we actually did some national stuff opening for Derek trucks and taylor hicks who had one american idol and, oh yeah the and older guy like, right? <laughs> yeah like the greyhounds and uh he took them on a national tour that I went on. He took them. Think. That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he's... No, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> oh, man. So um, this great... I'm imagining this great music scene down there where everyone's kind of just vibing off each other. You're playing drums for this. Um, and you know Gary then because he's just this axe slinger that everyone's mm -hmm. talking about around town. And he, he, he was he, living on 6th Street then, wasn't he? Um, I'm not sure where he was living, but every, any night of the week, you know, I, I was playing out six nights a week with six different bands, and on the you know small gigs, we were playing to two bartenders and and you know <laughs> one or two tables of people. That's, and um, you spent three months promoting that show, and too. <laughs> you know Gary would always walk in with an axe, and, and the guitar player would automatically be like, "Oh, let's wrap this song up, hand this guitar over to Gary." Um, was and, um, Clifford yeah. Antone op uh, still alive at that point? Um, no, by the time I moved to Austin. Okay, because yeah. he died in like 2000 then or something? Yeah, early 2000s, I want to say. Don't quote me on that. But um, yeah, it was a bit before I'd moved there. And Antone's had switched locations 
Um, but it was still, it was a thing. I mean, Anton's was, was, when I moved there, it was, you know, there was definitely a vibe there. And um, it was one of the five staple musician hangouts in did, Austin. Did you know his story before moving there? Had you heard about Anton's no, and Clifford I Anton? I was naive to a lot of Texas stuff. Like, I didn't know about Jimmy Vaughn. I knew about Stevie Ray. Yeah. But I didn't know about Jimmy Vaughn until I moved to Austin and saw him play in a room with 60 people in it. And, you know, For people that don't know, Clifford Antone was this <clears throat> huge blues lover, white guy, and uh, started this club in Austin in 1969, maybe, 72, mm -hmm. somewhere in there, and started bringing Buddy Guy down. And yeah. he, um, was, he was coming out of pocket to, to like... Really push blues music. Push blues and bring these guys in that were, you know, not touring so much or not you know and um i mean the, just the whole story of his whole life i mean everybody can look into clifford antone but antone's is still in austin and it's uh gary owns a piece of it now right yes sir yeah. and uh you guys still play shows there for radio yeah we do and it seems like anytime we do like something that's not you know stubs or ac at austin city limits um we we'll do yeah we do pop-up shows at antone's or like unannounced stuff and gary will and randomly jump on stage and freak people out. That's, I mean, I grew up in <laughs> Chicago and my dad was taking me to Buddy Guy's Legends. Um, mm -hmm. It's, I would imagine it's a similar, or it is a similar place like that. I've been there, I'm stupid. Um, but, you know, Buddy, uh, next month, January, he's 89 now. Um, and wow. every month. He looks amazing. For yeah. You. He still tours every year, nonstop. Yeah. And, World tours too, and he's uh, the whole month of January. He plays every single night at, right. you know, and it's the same exact size as Antone's. It's right on Wabash in Chicago, and every, you know, the people that come in there when the Stones are in town, uh, you know, they come in, and I mean, it's just it's incredible to be uh, that close to the greatness of him, and, um, you know, I'm just making a analyzation of what it's like at Antone's. Um, so you know Gary from around town. A lot of people don't know. I've seen a couple of videos where he's drumming like a badass. Oh, he's, yeah, he's a great drummer. <laughs> and that, I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, it's intimidating how good he is on drums. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Zapata was heading things up, and Gary's in the back and just... Oh, like, you've, seen, you've seen them do that? Yeah, yeah, and it was like some raunchy, you know, yeah. completely fuzzed out blues number, and Gary's back there just going ape shit on these yeah. mofos and... Uh, I didn't even realize that till you know. Um, I mean, he's extremely talented. So you see him around town, and then he are you friends with Zapata? Then is that yeah, and he also knew Zapata. Zapata's um, the rhythm guitar player for uh, Gary yeah. Clark Jr.'s band. Um, and you know, I'd see Zapata around, and me and him had a lot of friends in common. Including, I mean, the common link in all of us was kind of the Greyhounds. It goes back to. To those guys, okay, because they were kind of um, made it a little bit. They were doing stuff and um, touring, and not everyone just liked that, their music. But they they had this weekly gig on Wednesday nights that they still do, um, which drew a lot of musicians out, and it was like a just good networking place. Like, and um, yeah, I knew Zapata well, and Z Zapata was familiar with a lot of other projects I was doing that weren't in the obvious things. Like I was doing this thing with. Um, this guy named P.J. Valetti is called P.J. and the Bear, and it was, uh, you know, Iggy Pop style, two-minute song, 15-minute set, rah-rah, just straight-ahead rock and roll thing where, 
you know, we'd lose the singer in the first five seconds of the first <laughs> song. He'd, he'd be crawling on the floor in the crowd. And, oh, I love that. And, yeah. And, um, um, but yeah, so, so, so Zapata, I'd, I would see at those, at those kind of shows and like different stuff too. And I was playing in reggae bands also in Gary. I would see Gary at some of those reggae shows too. And That's so nostalgic just listening to it right now. You can picture, you know, the vibe <clears throat> down there in that, that time. Um, yeah, and it, and it all, you know... It might sound like it was this big, like, happening, but, you know, it was very, like, it was very casual. The whole, the yeah, whole well, that's what even Austin makes it more attractive. Casual, it's not yeah. like here, you know. It's a, Did you have um, much interaction with L.A. before joining Gary's group? I mean, 2008, nine. are you coming out here that much, or you're pretty no, much just always really. in Texas I'd, unless you're gigging out here? Yeah, I did, a, I did a, maybe a couple of gigs out here before coming out here a lot with Gary, yeah. I mean, it's a completely different scene than Chicago here, New York, but it's, you know, Atlanta too. Um, but it's just, I think the big problem is not having that uh, community is that everything's so spread out. If your drummer lives in the Valley and you're yeah. in Long Beach, that's three it's hours tough. that he's coming yeah. down for a 45-minute opening slot. And, you know, it's his whole day just to play drums for 45 minutes. Austin, you're going two minutes down the road, and you can right. bounce around to five gigs yeah. on a Sunday. Um, and anybody you, could th you think of or meet is... In the neighborhood, essentially, you know. Yeah, even if you want to record a track or something, like yeah. you need congas and. And there is something to about knowing that you know you see all these musicians, um, that play with major touring acts that live in town, and you know they live in town. You know they live close to you. It's inspiring, you know. Whereas in L.A., you know they're out here, but. Somebody that lives in the Hollywood Hills is in a completely different world than somebody who lives, you know. Everything is networking, though. I always tell people that are coming out here, younger people in music <clears throat> school, just live in it, get in it, do it. It's even, yeah. I, I'm just trying to learn photography right now. I'm in film school, and, um, you know, being a photographer is like, you know, my boy Ezra here just tells me, he's like, you just got to do it. You know, I can't show you it. You got to right. go out and you learn it, and it's like, you get very frustrated, but then it's like you pick up on a little rhythm or, you know, your own signature way of taking pictures. And it's like, okay. And it just takes, you, you think know. music's like that too? I think so. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think it's just getting into it where you're just doing something. You know, I said before, 90% of life is just showing up. And, you know, mm -hmm. if you're sitting around somewhere, I think you always have to constantly be around musicians. You're constantly, you know, when you're, even if you move out here, don't live in Long Beach. Live in Hollywood or, you know, North Hollywood where all the clubs are, the venues are the people and the labels and, you know, because, I mean, people who work at Capitol Records, they're going to come to the Hotel Cafe a block over. You right. Know? Um, right. Not that you're going to get discovered like Judy Garland or something, but it's, uh, you know, you have to be in it. And uh, that's what I meant with the um, talking about Austin is just that, yeah. you know, everywhere you look, it's just something going on. And it's just a good way to live, too, because it's like, you know, it's I need to be stimulated all the time. So um, I think, you know. Yeah, that's kind of my, my idea of utopian societies, like somewhere where everybody's working together on different projects and you, you know, know he's really got that figured out as Mumford and Sons with their whole group and um, a couple other groups from uh, London is their label I think it's called communion mm -hmm. and it's the whole label reps like six groups and they kind of manage themselves and everybody's friends and it's um, I think it's called communion and that's kind of this their uh, shelter they're all under and they all work together and share yeah. managers and drummers and um, yeah, it's a cool concept. So then Gary is starting to 
do things. He's opened up for Jimmy Vaughn, playing pickup stuff. Jimmy kind of took him under his wing, from what mm -hmm. I heard, from what yeah, I know. He, yeah, he did some regional little runs of shows with Jimmy, and uh, they became friends at Antones, I'm sure. And yeah, I think I think Jimmy was recognized. Was there just the was the talent just undeniable when you saw Gary on stage back then? I mean, was, it, was um, everybody ripping like that, honest, or was he just... Honestly, there's some great guitar players, and there's some great musicians in Austin. At the time, there were some great guitar players. Honestly, I didn't notice it until the first time I remember him sitting in with a band I was playing and feeling, you know, his... Um, Getting in the pocket. His kind of, when you know, when he takes over and, you know drives the bus per se um yeah he's definitely one of those musicians where it's like you know there's a wave of energy and you're you're riding it when you're playing behind them you know when he goes is this a when he goes oh does that mean <laughs> we're hitting the fucking gas now because that is the coolest shit ever i mean i've seen you guys so you many know? times and he's like ah and he's like so he got stung by a bee and it's yeah. like then you guys really hit the gas what you're talking about um is that a signal on the band? That's a serious question. Does that mean like let's get going? I'm not going? gonna speculate, <laughs> but I will speculate. Um, I know he does it sometimes when he's going for something and he doesn't quite get there, and it's like, <laughs> ah. Um, oh, okay, yeah. But, so it, could but be it also yeah. happens to coincide that those are the, the big moments, you know. People don't realize with great, you know, lead players like that, they make a lot of mistakes because they're going yeah. so fast. You're constantly missing frets and strings, and um, so I could see also. You know, I think that's also when he misses a note, then he's like really goes for it. Then right, right, right. Uh, talking about time and stuff, like when you guys do like when my train pulls in. Mm -hmm. I mean, you played it so many times, but it, every time it's, it's different. A different tempo every time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, how do you know when where he's going? Does he signal you? Um, he, you know, he he generally like. He he starts that. That's one of the songs that he starts and kind of sets up the tempo. And you know, me and Johnny Bradley look at each other and we're like, "Oh, this is going to be a fast one," or "Oh, this is going to be, this is going to be back." You know, that's so rad. Um, and also, John Keys being in it now has just added a whole new element mm -hmm. of just yeah, fucking he's an sick. incredible musician too. Man. That's the solo he does on um, all the Gary fans listening to this, um, Lowdown Rolling Lowdown, Stone. Yeah. Well, I mean, all the, I think that solo he does, and then it kicks back to Gary after his like four minute solo. <laughs> I noticed that at the Metro in Chicago, and he's just, it's, you're in like a, a rave, something. He's taking you to different places, and you guys are just grooving. And then it comes back to Gary's solo, and then it really just takes off. And it's, um, um, I don't want to get into John Keys yet. I do want to talk about him adding the band added to the band last year but um you should have him on the podcast yeah i will i actually uh make photoshops of him and uh pam adams <laughs> shout out pam adams she loves me so you guys he contacts you gary and says hey i need a drummer or zapata say he's looking for a drummer and you're I, like the call came from zapata what's the who project was, i think gary was out of town working on stuff and he was you know he was i remember hearing rumor in town that gary was working on some deal or something out here. Warner Brothers? Yeah. And um, so Zapata was in town, and I guess they I guess they had put Gary on this thing called the Bonnaroo Buzz Tour, which was a tour supporting Grace Potter and the Nocturnals. Love her. Leading, and it was like three bands. It was us, the Future Birds from Athens, Georgia, and 
Grace Potter, and it ended at Bonnaroo. Um, went up the East Coast and then came back down and ended at Bonnaroo. And um, that was kind of last minute. They asked him to do this thing, and it was a good opportunity. And so Zapata got on the phone with because he knew he had everybody's number, and he's he's kind of the connections guy. Um, he yeah, he's like, hey, if you want to go on a tour? It starts next week. Um, and you would kind of know, like, oh, this could. This is I cool. had to think about it for a day because it was one of those things where I, like I said, I was playing in like six oh, yeah. different bands, six nights a week, and then doing tours, doing short tours from Thursday through Sunday. Um, and I always prided myself at the time of like not backing out of gigs, no matter how sick I was, or no matter how busy I got, or even if I double booked myself in a night, I'd do both. Um, That's another thing for musicians to listen to is. Do what you say you're gonna do. Yeah, exactly. It's a very flaky business already. And yeah. commit if you commit to something, um, you know, in anything in life, I think that's you just if you say you're gonna and, do it, do it. And, and uh, there's a lesson learned there that like, for instance, I was I think of one example where I was doing this Monday night gig and I think after a couple of weeks of doing it, we realized we were never gonna make more than twenty five bucks a person for like three hours of music. It was brutal. Stand-up um, comedy rates. Right and it was on the east side of Austin. You know the east side of Austin, mm -hmm. like, which now is happening. Back oh, yeah. then, there was like a couple of bars and like it's nobody was going down there. Now this bar, the same bar I'm talking about, is like packed to the gills every night. The hipsters but, moved in and took over. What's that? The hipsters moved in in East Austin? Yeah, everything's kind of shifted on to like that side LA of town. Here but um, that was, I was doing that gig and I remember now she's my wife, but I remember my girlfriend at the time being like, why are you doing this? Like, you worked all day, you had this other rehearsal for three hours, why are you going to do this gig for 25 bucks? And I was like, I don't know, because <laughs> I signed up for it. Um, Sounds like someone else I signed up for it, and my arm's now broken, so I was there. And that was one of the gigs where, where that I got to know Gary and play with him and interact with him and stuff, so... What are some of the songs you the guys lesson, are doing The that? lesson there, uh, to me, is like you keep putting Maybe up if it. it wasn't for that $25 gig, I wouldn't have met Gary or become tight with him. There's know? a lot of luck, too. I mean, it's not just with you, but with everyone that I've met and interviewed and talked to. It's just like I was at the right place at the right time. And yeah. um, also, I think it goes back to you being extremely cool, too. Rattlelat and Zapata together. I mean, I see Zapata when you guys were playing Jimmy Kimmel the other day. I'm walking down Hollywood Boulevard, and Zapata's just kind of floating through Hollywood Boulevard. He's got his sunglasses on and the headphones and oh, the cool awesome. hair, and I'm just like, man, this band is too fucking cool. <laughs> yeah, he was the one who called all of us and was like, hey, this tour starts in a week. Um, do you want to do it? And I called him back the next day. and was like, yeah, I got some calls to make and some people to piss off, but yeah, I'll do it. Um, it was Gary signed at Warner Brothers then, or was this kind of right before? Um, well, in that pro whole process, you know, it was all talked about and like, oh yeah, also he's, you know, he just got a record deal, and, which to me wasn't a selling point because, you know, everyone and their mother has a record by, deal. Yeah, and by, you know, by the year 2000, this sounds stupid, maybe not. Detrimental to you almost. But by the year 2011, what does a record deal doesn't mean shit, you know what I mean? It's not like 1992 when people are still getting oh, yeah. crazy bonuses for record, you know. You're in a Ferrari like, the next day, riding next to Vince right. down Sunset. So, 
Um, but you loved his music, his talent, the group. He's a pilot. You're yeah. like, okay, I'm going to do this. And, and this is, that was yeah. eight years ago, nine years ago. So we're no, talking 2011. That was 2011, yeah. And then you guys go on this tour. Are you supporting or headlining some places? We were supporting. We were playing first of three. Okay. Oh, so this was the Bonnaroo Buzz? This is the Bonnaroo Buzz tour, yeah. And then... Sponsored by Ben & Jerry's. So we had all the ice cream we, we oh, wanted. Oh, man. Um, <laughs> would you guys sit in with Grace Potter or with Gary some nights? Or would uh, she Gary would with sit you? in with her, yeah. yeah. She's amazing. Yeah. She came up. I got a good story. The first. Sorry if I'm no. derailing your. We're your, chilling, man. Go ahead. Map Please. Of the podcast, but uh, she comes up. To, we hadn't said hi to her. It was the, the first show, and it's this outdoor venue. I forget where we were. Somewhere in North Carolina, maybe. But um, she comes up to us. The you know she's holding a white flying V and looks amazing. Sparkly dress, like incredibly beautiful. Just beautiful rock star. Um, she's holding this flying V and like, I'm like, she's not on stage. I thought the show started and I'm hearing, you know, a riff and I noticed she's on a wireless backstage <laughs> talking to us while she's playing this riff and people going crazy out front. And oh. We're still behind the stage. Can't see the crowd or Holy what's going cow. on the stage. And she's like, you guys are great. <laughs> and I was like, wow. what? what she's doing there right now? <laughs> Was she like introing a song or was she just yeah, a she was introing the song. It was the first song of the set. Holy cow. I guess she's even more talented than I thought. Yeah. Um, so then did she's you... She's out here. She lives out here. Yeah, she pops into the baked potato. Uh, have you been there before? Mm-mm. Oh, my God. Man, you have to go there. Coanga, right up the road I've here. Heard of it, yeah. Um, Danny Carey, his side project, Volto. He actually lives oh, right yeah. over here, too. Um Wow. Um, they play there once a month, and it only holds about maybe 60 people, and all they serve is baked potatoes. But, I mean, the premier musicians. Was from, that a jazz club at some point? Yeah. That's how I know. Okay. And it, it, the, it's just Jazz Fusion, this group. He's in mm. Volto. Um, it still is that. Yeah, Doug yeah. Webb, uh, Matt Rode from Jane's Addiction. He's always in there. I mean, I'm oh, sure cool. you know all the players. Uh, you'll see Axl Rose sitting in there, and... Chad Smith from Chili Peppers, his band Bombastic Meat Bats, they play there oh, yeah. all the time. Um, it's a hidden place, uh, kind of. But um, I got a, f- a real funny story about that. I was at Fonda Theater up the road seeing you guys maybe five, six years ago. It was my 30th birthday. I'm at the little after gig party on the roof, and this is when you guys are open up for Foo Fighters. And Dave Grohl was up there. Oh, yeah. And I'm sitting there. He's getting me hammered. I'd never met him before. <laughs> I was just cool. To, it was cool to be in his presence. And he found out it was my birthday, and he parties. Yeah. So, um, and I was telling him to go to Baked Potato because I was all, I just found out about it. He's like, oh, they're too good. They're too good. I'm not going down there. And uh, Dave Grohl hung out with me until about 3 in the morning. We're the last two in the club. You guys had all left. And he runs down to my girlfriend's car and jumps on the hood and goes, ah! And gets in his Uber, and away he went for... That dude's so cool. Yeah. So you guys start... You played Bonnaroo then, and then everyone... The word's out. The the Gary Clark EP um, yeah, had EP, dropped then. That EP had dropped shortly after that, that summer, and got good. Was this... I was... I, I yeah. went to Eric Clapton's Crossroads Festival, and I think that's what really put him on the map, was mm-hmm. 2010. Uh, Doyle Bromhall was kind of a mentor so to him yeah, as well. I actually learned for my like studying for to get ready to go on that tour because we weren't going to have a rehearsal we were just like going to jump in a van and do it oh i love that um we actually ended up having a 
45 minute rehearsal that Gary was like half an hour <laughs> late to. <laughs> um, but we, my studying for that gig was watching that set, that performance where he's, he's playing in front of Clapton's band. And 80,000 people. Yeah. Um, Doyle kind of got him involved with Clapton and Clapton's band is kind mm -hmm. of out of Austin. One of the guys, if is it Johnson something? Jamie Johnson or Eric Johnson, maybe? No, not Eric Johnson. Um, I don't know. Everybody knows each other. So Doyle gets him. Oh, JJ Johnson. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're talking about, yeah. He did drum for John Mayer, too, drummer. didn't he? Yeah. I think David Ryan Harris is going to be here soon, too. Yeah, also. And he, he played with Gary a lot. When I, the first few times I saw Gary do his. His set in Austin, JJ was drumming. Yeah, um, yeah. That's I mean that was the introduction for me, and you know he went on this six-minute solo of Bright Lights, and just like wow, this guy is young, <laughs> cool, and uh, you know it's a lot of older guys there. It's Jeff Beck, Clapton, the greatest people ever. But it was refreshing to see a younger guy coming up. I haven't really seen a an axling like that since like for me maybe in the mainstream to like, it was kind of similar to Johnny Lang coming yeah, in, yeah, I yeah. felt, you know, it was like, and everyone immediately labels you Stevie Ray Vaughan or Jimi Hendrix. And um, I don't compare, I mean, Gary's an amazing player and all over the place, but I wouldn't say it's Hendrix-esque really. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I agree. So then you jump on the Bonnaroo tour and then what's the next step for you guys there? You're just, uh, the labels putting you everywhere you want to go, doing some TV slots. Yeah, it was pretty much. When promotion, we got, promotion, promotion, promotion. When, when we got back from that thing, kind of officially and unofficially, Gary's like, so are we going to do this some more? And, and this of course, is, we were all like, yeah. You, Johnny Bradley, Zapata, and yeah. Gary. Yeah. And that's the group. 2011, you guys start promoting. And then what, did you guys, um, was he, uh, Bright Lights EP, and then it was Black and Blue? Mm -hmm. So then he, and we pretty much got on the road from that moment forward. And you haven't like got that off. Was, that was <laughs> it. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and then were you the first big tour uh, national and even maybe hit in different countries? Was that supporting the Black and Blue album? Um, yeah. It's hard for me to place like tour because like, like you just said, thousands it, it of kind of all good. just bleeds into a long nine years of touring. But yeah. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, we, we we were pretty much. That was the start of us just getting. I remember Gary buying a white van and trailer, and we were. Oh wow! So the, they it. didn't. Uh, you guys were hitting the road in your own. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Our first. Uh, I want to say th our first three or four years of touring was this specific white van, which I think his parents still have. A trailer. Us, us four. And a sound man and a and a tour manager. Holy smokes! Um, so yeah, there was there was same tour manager Michael Weed. No, no, it's um, changed since then. But uh, yeah, a couple different guys. I know. Uh, guys, yeah. I ran into Amos Lee, and he's friends with Michael Weed. I just saw him in Venice, oh, yeah. and he goes, "Oh yeah," because I said I was interviewing you, and he goes, "Oh, I'm really I'm good friends with Michael Weed," and. Um, Amos Lee, I'm sure you guys have played with him, I think, a few times. He's mm -hmm. sang with you guys. and um, um, Let's talk about just some of these insanely epic moments that I'm sure people want to hear about. So you guys have opened up for the Rolling Stones three mm -hmm. times now, four times? Four times. Just yeah. recently, like two months ago, right? Yep. What's going on with that? I mean, just <laughs> tell us something. I mean, you guys... I don't know, man. <laughs> just to do that uh, is, you know, that's... 
that's straight history, and that's just yeah. you know they made rock and roll. And when you guys will you just be called in for a spot, and you know Michael or, or Gary will say, hey, we're going to go open for the Stones. Yeah, and they've we're flying to Boston. <laughs> they've been. I mean, and I think they're all just huge fans of Gary. Like they've. I've never seen the Stones do this with anybody, but they let Gary. I think I want to say the first time we opened for them. First time we opened for them might have been in Portugal. Um, yeah, Rock and Rio, Portugal, I want to say. But they had Gary come up and not just play a solo, but sing a verse on on Bitch, which is like a big song on the set. Um, yeah. Yeah. And they had him play on Tumbling Dice or something, too. Yeah, on, yeah, yeah. On a couple yeah, he's, other he's, tracks. He sat in on a couple of other things, but it really struck me when, like, not only did they have him play, but they also had him sing a verse, which I've never seen. Yeah, they obviously are huge fans if they're letting him do that. I mean, um, you know, when you guys sat in or opened up for Dave Matthews a couple of years ago, I, I remember Gary played mm -hmm. on a couple of tracks. And, I mean, that's amazing for when you're, you know, the highest touring band for the whole year. I think Dave and Rolling Stones are always right up there for, right. and they're, you know, bringing you guys in to play songs and tracks and sit in. It's just, it's so nice, you know? I mean, um, they don't have to do that. You know, they could just have yeah. you open up that you're going to be, but to... Um, they don't even have to have us open up. Oh, yeah. I mean... <laughs> That's, I mean, especially getting to do it. What? Um, where were you hanging out with Robert Plant? Um, did you open for him, too? Oh, no, that was at that... That was with a different band. I, I did when when... Gary was we we had some time off and it was during the recording of Sunny Boy Slim. Um, I got an offer to do six weeks on the road with a band called um, The Last International. Um, they had Brad, Brad Wilk drumming for them at the time, and um, Brad Wilk got the Smashing Pumpkins gig or something like that. Yeah, he was playing on. And that so album. they were, and they they I became friend. I ran into them a couple of times. A really cool couple from uh, from the Bronx, um, but they they're based out of out here now. But uh, they called me up and were like, "Hey, I noticed you guys are off the road. Would you want to do this thing going through the UK, opening for Robert Plant?" Oh wow. Um, and it was great, man. We we played a lot of places where every day Robert Plant would have us. He'd walk into, you know, he he by the way is such a like dudes dude. Like just walk into catering, sit down, hang out, you know. Yeah. Um, he every day had a cool cool story for me, and he knew I, whenever he'd say Bonham, I'd, I would look <laughs> freak out. Um, he. He had some cool stories about him and Bonham, like biking from such and such town they grew up into where we were playing that night, and like, because he he a lot of these places he was playing on this tour were spots he hadn't been to since I want to say the Zeppelin 1970 Oof. was the last tour that they did, the kind of smaller, like the not small but small for Zeppelin yeah. theaters. Um, so I remember him telling us about how we were we were in the room where they played Stairway to Heaven for the first time and it didn't go across well. 
It's like uh, Bohemian Rhapsody also was not, uh, they didn't think that was going to be good. We're actually sitting in the room, I think, that uh, Stairway to Heaven was cut. Um, I know they recorded that album in here. There's three studios here, but I'm not sure. Um, I'd have to ask Nate, the engineer. here. A lot of people lost their hearing to that snare drum in this room. (laughs) What what was the thing about Bonham that it was always like a half a second late kind of, or was that, had you heard something like that? Um, yeah. Just had his own style, I guess. Yeah. Was he one of your influences? Definitely. Who else? I think there? any drummer that doesn't praise Bonham is either lying or, <laughs> you know, a lot of drummers are like, oh, Bonham's like, you know, Simple. if you ask people who their favorite drummer is, people are probably more likely to say Mitch Mitchell or, um, Or a number of other drum, rock drummers, and not say Bonham comes. Bonham's the obvious, but man, like pound for pound, like you take the average person who's not a drummer and play them a drum track, and I feel like Bonham drum tracks speak to anybody, not just drummers. Like they just carry weight, you know. Also, how they had his, how they recorded his drums in yeah. the studio. Yeah, had a lot. So all, all that had, yeah, production. Unique. Was, yeah. It's funny you mentioned Brad Wilk because I kind of think your guys' styles are very similar. And not the, you know, from Rage Against the Machine to Gary Clark Jr. are completely different kinds of music. But it's also, you're just so solid in what you do. You don't need I'm to overdo of, anything. I'm, I'm of that you're era. A rhythm world. drummer, you know. You're... I grew up on, on Rage Against the Machine. That was, that was when, you know, in my coming of age, when I was. In you know high school, that was my shit. Oh yeah, uh, you know that's a huge. Those are for me. I feel like a lot of musical taste imprints were made in those years that I can't let go of if I tried to. And Rage Against the Machine is definitely a huge one. Rage Against the Machine, Jane's Addiction. But for the uh, the power and the loudness of that music, you know, Brad Wilkes is not doing some insane. You know Danny Carey's uh, time signatures. Right, He's right, just rocking out, and yeah. it's you know it's, I think you guys are not just kind of just solid, good rhythm drummers. You know, yeah. doing the part, and uh, um, yeah, he played. Brad Wilk is you see him around town. He's was uh, my boy Elmo Lovano, uh, who did Jam Card or started up Jam Card. Now I was telling mm-hmm. you about that. Um, it's like a LinkedIn for musicians to get gigs and to collaborate with people. But he played drums for Juliette Lewis, who Brad Wilkes married to. Right. And you'll see them around here at Hotel Cafe. Um, but yeah, he was with uh, Billy Corgan on that one album. And then he did something else cool. I think he was working with Nate here at uh, on some session. I like that thing, that thing they're doing with uh, Be Real and Chuck D. Man. Oh, yeah. What is that? Prophets, Prophets of Rage. Rage. Yeah. Have you seen that live? No, I would love to, though. Yeah, I think they just uh, did like their last show at the Shrine Auditorium. Oh, really? Are they done? Hmm. Um, well, Rage is going back out. They do it. Uh, Are they? Oh, yeah. <laughs> There's what show I'll at believe, Austin? I don't believe it when it happens. They're, they're advertising <laughs> and they got tickets on sale unless Zach De La Roca decides to whatever. Yeah. Um, all right, a few couple questions here is... But sorry, I wanted to end that with. Oh yeah, please. Me and Johnny Bradley are huge um, Rage Against the Machine rhythm section fans. Definitely, there's, there's definitely. It's not weird that you made that connection. The repetitiveness again is, 
of the shows, the songs, is Gary picking a set list every night, or do you guys have a set one that you like to get down to a T? Um, I, I don't. I've saw so many shows last year, but there'd be a couple numbers that went in and out. Um, mm-hmm. Like not every night you guys would play um, train. Uh, when my train pulls in, you leave that out yeah. sometimes. Sometimes in. Is it time constraints? Is it all? It's, of those? it's always changing. Um, it used to be that we wouldn't even write a set list out. Really? Um, yeah, for a long time, up until maybe about. I want to say up until about three years ago, we weren't writing set lists. Gary would just turn around, or he'd just because a lot of stuff he starts with riffs, so he or he just starts something. something else. Um, yeah, and we we didn't. Things have changed a little bit because now we have um, solid front of house sound man who kind of wants to know, hey, what sure. what are you guys gonna feed me here? I need to know what you guys are doing so I could tweak what I have to tweak lights um, too there's lighting which is you know pr- production adds a whole other ele- element where you kind of have to be a little bit predict more predictable if you know but Gary still calls audibles every night all the time yeah I love that um yeah with that stage setup too that uh the, this land is that Ryan Keeley that did the art for the backdrop on your behind he did you. The backdrop. That's yeah, yeah. There's some cool stuff when you guys get into those purples and pinks going on. And yeah, that's a whole new element from five years. We've ago. always talked about it, and we know, you know, we've always been the band that rolled up with nothing production-wise, like just music gear, and yeah. that's it. And I not, saw you at the Vic Theater in but... Chicago six years ago, and it was just come in, jam out, and yeah. And now it's um, even at the Hollywood Bowl. God, that was so insanely cool. Um, I'm kind of glad we stuck to that for a, for a long time of not doing production, being the band that's easy to accommodate for venues and all that thing. Um, but you know, at some point, you 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 realize that if you're playing venues of a certain size, you got to put on a bigger show visually as well. You know. Yeah, and it it brings like for me that I've been listening to you guys for eight years now. It's like you're adding a new element, you know. And now, yeah. um, let's talk about John Keys. Uh, we mentioned him earlier, who's the new keyboardist in the group. Uh, did he join you guys a year ago, roughly, a year and a half? Um, yeah, just over a year. Not even a year and a half. I think it's I think it's been just fall of 2018, yeah. Is he from Austin? Or is he living in Austin? He's from Buffalo, New York, um, and been in Austin about as long as I have, yeah. Okay, so he'd been in the scene, years. and then yeah. Gary yeah, decides yeah. that I want to add another element he, to this? He was actually on... The Sunny Boy. He was on the previous record. He was on writing yeah, sessions yeah, for that. Yeah. And then Gary decided, let's add him in the group and tour with us now. And yeah, and I think a lot of the stuff on the new record we probably couldn't pull off, as we would have to oh, yeah. completely re-conceptualize the title track. Of this land is keyboard. his yeah, yeah, yeah. him coming yeah. in with that synthesizer. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's another thing that just adds to everything and the old tracks too that you guys are doing. Um, yeah, you have such a catalog now that you hear these songs that I've heard twenty times. Old stuff, which is great. Yeah. Yep. Um, this lands up for four Grammys, right? Yeah. And I mean, did you think? I mean, it's just. I'm sure it still shocks Gary, and I mean, you know, just eight years ago, you're kind of in Austin drumming for six different bands, and it's like now we're sitting in Sunset Sound yeah. and. You're coming out. I mean, you're in 20 different countries. Every time I see you, you're in Chicago, Austin, the Hollywood Bowl. I mean, it's just. Um, 
Yeah, there was there was a lot of markers. That's what I've said earlier. There's a lot of markers this year that were like that were like reality checks for me, like Saturday Night Live. I was wow. Oh gosh, actually, yeah, that was super we're cool. actually doing this. Um, Howard yeah, Stern. <laughs> I, feel, I feel really fortunate, man. You guys are sitting really at Howard fortunate. Stern, and he's asking Zapata, Zapata, Eric, you know what you're doing here? You got this song memorized? <laughs> that was hilarious. I'm like, this is like, you know, this blues group from Austin with yeah. all these players and. Singing I grew up listening to Howard Stern oh, on the radio in Jersey too, like when I was a kid. Oh that's yeah, because all my dad in... would listen to in the morning. Yeah, he was on NBC Radio then, probably right, or maybe I even. I remember, but I know in the, in the Northeast it was a big thing. You know, that's so surreal. I just, um, what are some uh, personal accomplishments that you like to get out of? You know, I mean, I'm sure it's cool playing the Hollywood Bowl for the mm-hmm. third, fourth time, and playing overseas, and uh, you know, these iconic theaters all across and. Um, what are some things that you like to shoot for? Just maybe even not even musically, but things that you're trying to, you know, just check off um, throughout this roller coaster right now, of touring. And I mean, are you practicing? Do you like you to, mean that I'm trying to check off that we haven't just I mean, accomplished yeah. it? Even personal. Well, getting getting. I mean, becoming a better musician is kind of. You're still. I mean, you're like it, Michael Jordan. You're always practicing. Yeah, and I don't know. You know. I hear a lot of people say this, but I mean, I, I'll, I don't think I'll ever feel like I'm worthy of anything that we do. <laughs> and yeah, that's just I. I have this discussion with other musicians all the time, and like, seems like a universal thing. Like, which, and everybody says, "Oh, that's good because you're gonna keep, you know, you're gonna stay humble and." Keep doing, but it'd be nice to someday feel like I deserve so much, <laughs> you know. But do you want to do? Um, reality is, I always, I always notice what I can't do when I want, when I watch drummers I love, or even just I could walk into the bar down the street and walk in and see a drummer playing freaking Eagles covers or whatever, and be like, oh, I, I don't do that like that, or I can't do that. I need to work on that, you know. Do you, when you're home, are you messing around with drum tracks and kind of practicing a lot, or oh, yeah. just all the time? When, when we're off the road, I the day after I you spend, get up, yeah, I, I pretty much that's my day. Also, <clears throat> you and Zapata, like you guys get off a eight month tour, and then I noticed two days later you're already in another city doing something else. I mean, he was, I just saw him on Instagram, but he was had flown off to Cuba, or was that you? Um, I was in Cuba. Okay, that was you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Year and a half it was after a crazy tour, and then like two days later, you were in Cuba doing something else. I don't know. Yeah, if you're I was. And I recently jumped off a tour and went to Jamaica for, yeah. But just were yeah. you working on music there or no? No, my okay. my, my wife's half Jamaican, so her mom, she? and her mom retired and moved back to Jamaica. And the, she's so, also the premier yoga but I, teacher. But I go find try to find music there. Like that's that's the thing there. I mean, I notice when I travel just for like. This month I'll go to Jacksonville, then St. Simon's Island, then to Chicago, then Vegas, and home. And it's like after just five days, I just want to keep going. I'm not tired. Yeah. I'm just like you're in a zone. Then it's like okay, now I need to calm down and like get back to my, you know, exercising and eating right. Yeah, and, that's uh, kind of the thing. I and mean, you know, re- being well rested is like you could do that while traveling. Um, I couldn't. <laughs> Seriously, I. I mean, you it, it took me some years to 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 work in a proper, um, like, well, I say, and I still am working on it, like what they call sleep hygiene, which is like you know shutting shit down and 
making sure you get to sleep. You know, my first few years of touring, especially when we were going, going overseas for the first times, so I was like, oh, I'll never do this again. I can't sleep the whole freaking tour. And by the end of the tour, I'm wrecked, which is good and fun. Your first few times, then you start realizing, okay, you know, you got you to gotta sustain this lifestyle. Um, Just obviously the jet lag time change, and then you're in yeah. jumping countries, like yeah. cities. What I mean, you, you guys, you guys pull up to the venue, and then you go to the hotel first, and then let's just take us like in twenty four hours, real quick. You're going okay. from Austin to Miami. So U.S. tour, normal day. Um, we get done playing by midnight most nights. We hang out and unwind backstage or on the bus after the show for a couple hours before the bus rolls out for usually an overnight drive of, let's say, four to six hours. Um, you're on the road sleeping in a bus bunk, or we don't really go right to sleep, which we, once again, sleep hygiene. I should jump in that bunk and go right to sleep when the bus takes off, but that never happens, especially when you get off stage, you're amped. I'm, I'm amped, amped up for at least four hours after a show, you know? Wow. Um, roll gets some light sleep on the bus till about 6 or 7 a.m. when we roll up to a hotel. You drag your bag into a hotel room, either go back to sleep or get some breakfast and take a shower. And then um, lobby call sometime between noon and 2 o'clock to go to sound check venue, dinner between sound check and show, at the venue, usually it's catered. Most of the time, at or around, yeah. Um, take a half hour nap if you feel it before the show. So you're just um, getting it in when you can, anything. Yeah, that's, a, that's the day. Um, I try to fit in like a workout or something while we're at the hotel in the morning because. You cycle? That's kind of. I don't cycle. Um, not because I wouldn't be into it, it's just there's. Um, yeah, cycling involves a bike and gear. <laughs> I, I generally do like a yoga class or or just go running. But um, that I find that that helps me sustain traveling sure. to Anxiety, like a regular everything. workout routine or something. Then you guys do the show and all over again. And if you get an off day, that's just like yeah, off heaven day. sent. Yeah, off days are, yeah. And you get a time, that's a day to explore the city you're in because people think, oh, you've seen all these places. Well, you're not getting a chance to really go around and like right, right. have coffee or, you know, go play in the park. You're you're working. Yeah. And that's what, you know, you know, in your position and bands of these this caliber, like people don't realize the amount of work it is. It's not just playing drums for 90 minutes or two hours or 45 minutes. It's all that stuff in between. That's yeah, the hardest yeah, yeah. part, you know. Yeah, the work is the, the the easiest part of the day is those two hours on stage. I mean, um, the waiting is harder than the being on stage, you know. Oh, when I saw you guys um, at Jimmy Kimmel down the street, it was like you're doing two songs, I think, three songs, but, you know, just the sound and the producers and everyone getting everything yeah. together and you're just sitting there waiting, waiting, waiting. I need a, a book to... Uh, tied yeah. to your back or something that's i mean in places like when you know when we go to europe or australia or somewhere well, we were just in japan and 
that's the kind of place where like I'll I'd lose sleep in those spots because you know if if you get you arrive in a city in the morning and you could either sleep another four hours once you get to the hotel or you go out and see shit in a city that you might not yeah. ever see again. So that's I think I think that's that's healthy a healthy reason to lose sleep. <laughs> Let's discuss, we flew from L.A. to Red Rocks. And in, mm-hmm. for listeners, if you haven't been to Red Rocks, go there. It's yeah. not Denver. It's 30 miles outside in a town called Morrison. And we rode some horses. There's like a couple little hotels that you can stay at at the base of the. Really? Yeah, we stayed right at the yeah. base, like walking distance from it. And it's you know, just some old that, yeah. weird lodge that's been there. It's made out of brick or like old, uh, like not cinder blocks, but it, I don't know. You get what I'm saying. And uh, the little town of Morrison is just this little artist community and yeah. painters. And I think it's the coolest music venue. It's the coolest venue that's dedicated to music. Because there's places like in Italy that are coliseums where lions used to kill human beings <laughs> that are pretty impressive venues now. But they're not solely concert venues like Red Rocks is strictly a music venue. And it's the most, yeah, I think it's the most breathtaking place to see or perform a concert at. Well, the sound, too, is just incredible. And growing up, I was, was, my sister turned me on, I have an older sister, she turned me on to U2 when I was really young, and U2 under Blood Red Sky. Um, Have you ever seen that? Uh, yeah, that's that's a that was shot that's, there. That's Red Rocks. Yeah. Okay, I have to refresh on that. Apparently, but... there were only a couple hundred people in the crowd because oh. a huge storm came in and scared everybody off, and they had to shoot it in a way where it looked. Like well, a... I thought that was going to happen with you guys that night because no. we every were... time we played there, there's been some weather anomaly that's like almost knocked us out. But let's talk about what what happened to you a couple days before you got rushed to emergency surgery. Yeah, I had um. I had a cancer scare. Um, I had to get a tumor removed. Jesus. What were, did you have and, symptoms or did you just collapse one day? Or um, what brought this on? I, I had to... symptoms through through a tour that I kind of was like, eh. Tired or headache? Or... Yeah. Um, and I, for some reason, there was something, something inside me told me to go to a doctor, and uh, which I, you know, the morning I was going, I was like, I don't feel, I, I feel kind of good these days. And I only had like five days off the road at home. I, was, I almost skipped a doctor's appointment, but I went and long story short, um, I was told that I had to go right into surgery because this is something that uh. could, that could or already has spread. Jesus. Um, that puts everything in perspective all of a sudden yeah. within one minute of hearing that. And you know, my first thing was, um, well, no, we we have a we have a <laughs> seven week tour starting at Red Rocks coming up. So we're gonna Can tell the to, cancer to hold on. We're gonna that? have to do this after the tour. And the doctor's like, I don't know what Red Rocks is, but, or give a fuck. Um, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> um, yeah, luckily I had a good convincing doctor, and so you went had surgery in Austin there, yeah, and then. And then I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to play the show, you know. But the break was before Red Rocks, and that was the first day yeah, back, Yeah, the right? first sweep. This was, I went to the doctor the morning six days before we were supposed to play Red Rocks, and before we did play Red Rocks. And um, 
yeah, I called Gary, was like, hey, this situation, I just got out of surgery, and blah, blah, blah. He's like, you know, he very thoughtfully and, like, you know, as a friend was like, dude, fuck this tour. Are, are you okay? We, we don't, you know, this is Small potatoes compared to, to life. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I was like, man, that's, I think I could do it. The doctor said I might be able to do it. We showed up, and I wasn't able to because I was, I had to, make the most of those five days of recovery i wasn't able to sit behind the drums and see if i could actually do it so it was like terrifying going going into sound check that day because where was, was the like, surgery i don't know what this is gonna be like but where did you have the incision um full disclosure um Let's get full and invasive. i probably i feel comfortable talking about it now <laughs> um testicular cancer oh my gosh my dad had it yeah yeah, he has a scar right down his belly button. And yeah. I, I was only asking to... And yeah, so you know it's a scar right on your waistline. Yeah. So playing drums, um, you know, the doctor was like, oh, you'll you'll be able to play drums. And I'm like, I had to show him a video of us playing. And he's like, ooh. Um, when Don't Know Your Thing comes on, doctor, I don't know, if you <laughs> know what, a, what a groove is, but when I get in that shit, I'm all over the place. You're dancing behind those mofos, too. Yeah, um, and I move. I don't have the best posture behind the drums. I move around a lot. And, it's cool to watch. Yeah. Um, well, thank God everything's okay now. I mean, we're yeah, man. That show fingers was, crossed. And that was. I had a moment that night, like sitting there staring out at ten thousand people, and the you know the, the mountains that are red rocks, and it's like holy shit. This is I'm living. This is to give the context of the situation, the winds were about 30 miles an hour. The clouds are blazing all over the place. It was one of the most epic Colorado skies. I've been there tons of times skiing, and I've never been in a situation like that. I mean, the winds were just so strong. I took a video of Gary's hat flying off mid-solo mm -hmm. and Pearl Cadillac. I mean, it was just your hair is so cool, and it's going all over the place, and everyone's just... It was a magical night to be there, but to know that you're going through that and fighting through and then... Um, what you were about to say was this moment where you're just like, wow, this is, I'm so grateful to be here. I'm just, this is. Yeah. And you know, at that, at that time I still hadn't gotten cause you know, the way that works, you know, from your dad, the way that works is they, um, they, they can't biopsy the tumor while it's there. They have to take it out and then it takes about 10 days for them to biopsy. It, and then you Ugh. get, you get word back and it'll tell you, you know, and, and that kind of cancer spreads as happened to Lance Armstrong. It spreads right to your lungs and brain um, quickly, like within days and weeks. Um, so for those 10 days, first 10 days of the tour, I was like thinking like, okay, my life is going to change. Like I'm going to have to go through radiation right, yeah. therapy and all those, everything involved in when that thing spreads. But I got... I was lucky and caught it when I did and got word back that my... It's okay. Good. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's incredible. I mean, uh, you know, life just goes on and we, you know, obviously you have a very cool job, but it's like when you get a health scare like that or, you know, my yeah. dad died one day and I was just like, you know, nothing means anything at that point except, uh, you know, your lovely wife, your good friends, and right. you know, it's that's I couldn't imagine being on tour and you're having the anxiety of like, am I gonna make it to Lollapalooza next or you know, uh, the Hollywood Bull show? Or am I gonna, is someone gonna take yeah, my it was, job? It was I mean, a weird thing of like really appreciating that I was getting to do something like 
headline Red Red Rocks with Gary and all those things, and then also realizing like, oh, this doesn't really mean anything. Yeah. Um, and I'm not saying that in a bad way. I'm just no. saying, you know, because it really human doesn't. Way. Yeah. Um, yeah. Were you get? Did you have pain throughout, or were you just fighting? Or? Yeah, it was. You know, it was. I doubled or tripled the time it normally takes to recover by being on the road for two months after it. Um, so yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a very testing tour. It was definitely one of the toughest yeah. tours I've. Done. A little point in your life. I mean, you'll never forget that. Obviously, um, that show but, was amazing. And yeah. It, well, luckily, like one one huge thing about, and this is being on the road in any situation. You know, the people you have around you and people treating each other with respect and caring and support. Being, being there for you. You know, I I knew that you know my my dudes had my back and were there to help me out. Everybody in our crew and band was there to. Like, hey, what do you need? How are you feeling? Like, and that says something about Gary, also. Obviously, you know, he's yeah. so supportive. I mean, a lot of it people with him, yeah. could be best friends with their drummer. Well, you know, you're fucking up my business now. I don't care what's wrong with you. I mean, there's a right. lot of people. A lot of people are like that. Oh, most, big time. More than most, mo- more, the than more than successful most. ones are like that, generally. Um, and unfortunately, but uh, yeah, it, it all starts with Gary. There's always been this like respect. That's the reason why we've been able to stay on the road for nine years. You know? Sure, yeah. Well, and I mean, the intimate moments you have with all the band members, I'm sure just being on that bunk at two in the morning and, you know, just yeah. little things that you share. You know, I have friendships like that where it's like, you know, remember those little things and you just have this bond with people and it's great that, you know, um, that all worked out. I'm very sorry I even had to deal with that, but yeah. the brighter days. I got lucky, man. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I got- mean, Really lucky. A friend of mine in Chicago, uh, my friend Seamus McDermott, his wife, uh, we were just hanging out with them at the Chicago Bears game, and then all of a sudden she got diagnosed with breast cancer. And it's just yeah. like, these things just hit you like that. You know, losing my dad yeah, to suicide a, one day. It's, wow, yeah. Um, you know, that's it's, so surreal, too. It's, you know. It's just one day your whole life's different, and it makes you appreciate everything so much. And I think that's what you're getting at with that story when you're sitting there at Red Rocks looking at the most beautiful venue, yeah. 10,000 people, and which way is my life going to go? And, um, you know, that's what I try to live my life now is just being grateful for so much. And when I bitch about something, I really got to take a minute to look around, and I'm like, wow, I have everything I want, you know, what else, what am I yeah. even crying about? I have these great guitars and I get to interview you and my girlfriend's hanging out and, um, you know, just my piano I just bought and all this fun stuff and all these things that I wanted to attain, but then when you get them, you're still not satisfied. But yeah, that's just, you know, I feel like that's just human nature to, you know. Yeah, but when you have these moments like that, it switches everything around i think and you just have yeah. a new appreciation for the smallest things in life it enjoying does. a and sunset now that i'm like months out from that that was that was about three and a half months ago oh yeah almost four months now september um i'm trying to like constantly remind myself of that feeling i had because you know it things happen and you. your mindset changes and it's very easy to fall back into God, a psychology so accurate you know? Yep, I had some problems with uh, drinking alcohol a few years ago, and, you know, I got arrested. And being in L.A. County Jail with MS-13 and Mm -hmm. 
it's the filth, and you say to yourself, I'm never going to be in this situation ever again. Well, a week later, it starts to wear off a little bit. And mm-hmm. It's similar in any aspect of life, and it's you got to, you know, should get a tattoo on your hand if it's going right. to help you or something. And it, I mean, this year has been monumental in the sense that you're doing all these Saturday Night Live and Howard Stern and uh, The Voice. Are you getting when you're off? To, you're off tour right now, so you're just flying in for these things, and yep. you do the show, and then you're back, and then you'll get a call again next week. Um, who knows? Yeah, or, that's general. I mean, do these bookers know, at the like NBC, for instance, do they just contact Pam Adams and the say? The TV stuff happens quickly just sometimes. Like yeah, yeah. People that they need to fill. I mean, they got to fill so many slots all the time. Generally, you know, sixty percent of the time, it's you know, you're booked months out, but um. Some some of that stuff happens pretty pretty quickly. Even like I got a call earlier this year to do to guest on Seth Meyers' show. Oh they yeah, you did guests, a week there, right? Yeah, they have guest drummers come in every now and then, on, and um, yeah, and that was all kind of happened on the fly. Yeah. Do um, they film that in New York? Yep, that's uh, yeah, Thirty Rock. That's. See, those are just some of the cool things, though, I would think, of being a pro musician, that it's like you didn't expect to do something like that probably oh, yeah, a couple yeah. years ago. And it's like you're on national TV, and now it's like this is my stuff, too. You know, I'm, they want me to come drum, and, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. um, I can only imagine how crazy and that intricate that is. That was a really cool is. experience to see how that that That's how completely different like than a concert. Yeah, it's, you're, a, it's a whole other art form to do that kind of you're gig, filling in you know? what 45 second slots on some yeah. crazy standard or cover tune of not even it was, it was stuff like the, the way that band works they write that morning you do a writing session oh and wow. you write snippets um wow and yeah just little time fillers and, and have, is there some you know you have an ears on and uh floor uh, the producers on the floor giving you little signals and because as the drummer on that kind of gig it's your job to do a big fill and wrap up the band right on the spot you know so you get to signal next downbeat you gotta wrap up is it like paul schaefer with the yeah (laughs) remember that or what did he do something like that and they're just like then it's like yeah so they do it in a really smart way instead of doing that they kind of you know you as a drummer just give up you try not to do throw inject too many fills into the thing so that when you do a major fill they know that they're stopping stopping on the next downbeat is it intimidating because i mean these are probably i don't know that band but it's juilliard people and um you know classically trained you know that know every little that part that part not is not crazy intimidating to me but um the just just tv is is you know it's it's intimidating (laughs) it's not you know it's not what I do for a living. Like what I what what my art form is, playing to a room of people that are. Yeah, well, I mean, know. the music is almost. It's we're not there to. It's using music as a tool uh, for the show. Right. So right, right. it's not like people are there to listen to this. It's just a time filler, and it's got to be yeah. spot on. And so every morning, you guys would get some new tunes, and this kind of like, all right, yeah, this is a. Going. We're gonna do this many bars with their coffee at 10 a.m. and they have a little rehearsal room. You sit down, you write four or five ditties for the thing coming up. They pick out a cover song for to entertain the audience off air, you know, before they tape. And 
like a Lady Gaga cover or something. Like that. <laughs> they actually that band does cool stuff. They do a lot of like we did like David Bowie and Pixies covers. Oh, nice. And, yeah, that's one of the the you know the cool things of getting to this level though. You get to do stuff like that, and it's just yeah. I, I think life's just about experiences, and uh, you know when you have so much stuff that you're constantly doing on a tour, playing all these different things, that's just a, an added bonus maybe. Um, as difficult as it might be, but it's fun to go beyond. You know, I was on Seth Meyers for a week yeah, and okay. add to your resume. Like, and it's all that TV stuff is nerve wracking, but it's, it. it's totally worth it. The adrenaline rush you get from the, the reason why it's so nerve wracking is also the rewarding part of it. You know, when you're off tour and you get these calls, does it limit what you're able to do with other projects you want to work on? Kind of. Yeah, definitely, but. You know, it's you're one just, of the biggest bands in the country right it just now, goes and with territory, like, yeah. that has to take priority, yeah. obviously, over yeah. a side project in Austin um, or San Antonio. Yeah, I'm actually like doing a side project in Atlanta right now. That's you know sporadic, but session work or album or tour. Um, yeah, it's a it's a studio project for now. And, yeah. I love Atlanta. Georgia is cool, the whole state. It's yeah, Atlanta's got some good things going on. The Atlanta music scene right now is, I feel like, has some, that's one of the spots in the country right now. And the old spots, it's the Eddie's Attic there. Um, that's a cool spot. And uh, a couple it's great theaters. Northside Tavern, Tavern there. I believe so. Yeah, that's, I mean, I've yeah. heard that name, uh, the Fox Theater. Um, also, the film community there is just gigantic mm -hmm. because of the tax breaks they give. Yeah. Uh, you know, especially that, in the last five years. Oof, and, yeah. Tyler Perry's got his big studio there now, but everybody shoots everything there because something that costs twenty million in LA is eight million down there, and mm -hmm. uh, Louisiana as well. Austin had that going on for a little bit. Um, uh, they know they can charge right everybody. about ten years ago, and then it stopped and all moved to to Georgia. And so. When do you guys, uh, do you have an, a tour for 2020? And yeah, next year's still kind of getting, the puzzle pieces are starting to come together, but um, we don't, nothing is officially posted besides a few festivals that have to post their lineup this yep. far in advance. Sure, sell but tickets. I heard some talk of doing some um, openers for the Black Keys because they're on a big tour next year. And Yeah, they're on Warner Brothers as well. They're label mates, yeah. That, uh, there's an interview on Joe Rogan, Pat, Pat Carney. Oh, well, both of them are on there, but Patrick Carney talks the whole time. And he's. Have you spoke with him much? No, no, I haven't met him, man. Oh wow, you got to listen to this yeah, interview. He's, he's interesting, dude. Right? He's very intense, very open about the label and uh, just everything. I mean, he talks for two hours straight, and he should have his own podcast. I've heard he's a great ping pong player, and I've, always, yeah. I've wanted to do openers for him so I could challenge him. So 2020 got some festivals lined up. Um, I have some questions from Facebook Live that I got to ask you. Um, uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> and now we're going to talk about Donald Trump yeah. impeachment. Let's go. Nothing but that. Everybody wants to know what a drummer has to say about politics. <laughs> How do you feel about being called Snot Boy in Drumline now? Oh, oh shit. <laughs> Where did that come from? Can I ask who, who the... That is some inside These are anonymous. I don't even know how to answer that question. Drumline so, from school? Yeah, whatever motherfucker sent that remembers this instance where, you know, in Drumline, you're, 
you're playing cadences while the whole band is marching through and the football team and cheerleaders might have been one of the cheerleaders um, <laughs> <laughs> um and there was we were it, it was like a winter thing and i remember just like in the middle of a cadence just like for you know when it's cold out and you just have you know snot running down your nose <laughs> oh, okay <laughs> <laughs> and somehow it fucking stuck because high schoolers are cruel so that's so, your nickname uh, snot so tell boy me, tell me who wrote that <laughs> I, I can't. They're anonymous. I don't want to blast them. And I don't know the screen name on here. Who it could be? That is somebody. I mean, it's somebody who knows me or went to high school with. We got like, there's tons of questions here, but I don't know how stupid you want to get. Do you have it a baby somebody, in another town? Some, what's that? Do you have a, a baby in another oh town? Oh my god, that's another. What the fuck? <laughs> these are coming could... out of. These are all inside jokes. So it's not going to be entertaining to anybody. At this. Okay. <laughs> I uh, I don't have a baby in another town. That was. Uh, What's your Gretsch model? Are you um, on Gretsch? That's a boring question after those two. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm a, I, I, I rep Gretsch. And, uh, Sabian, right? Right now I'm using a broadcaster series. Um, most of the time broadcaster, um, USA Custom, or one of my 60s Gretsch kits, which I love. Um, yeah. How many sets do you have? Couple at home, one tour rig, um, two tour rigs that sit in a locker, and fifteen drum sets at home. When you guys are overseas, you're getting gear from suppliers over there, right? Are you um, shipping yeah, it? that stuff's usually backline. Or we generally in 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 Europe, and UK, we um, rent gear from one place when we start a tour, or or. Wherever we start a tour, the bus will meet us coming from the UK. This place, John Henry, it's a huge backline company, like like Mates here, like, um, sorry, SIR, okay. one of those kind of companies. But yeah, it's always Gretsch stuff that I'm somewhat familiar with. What's your favorite song to get in the pocket on? I would assume from the Gary um, catalog. Of our current set? Hmm. the biggest jams i mean obviously when my train pulls in is a, a monster I but i'm I, w I won't say one of those now because i'll say one of the new ones because they're the new ones um and just locked and loaded right for me i like cold-blooded a lot oh i've only you seen that, that like once yeah that was off yeah. black and blue yeah um actually that was a, that was the second record but uh of the new songs feeling like a million is probably oh yeah First time I heard that, I was like, is this a reggae tune? And then that chorus is so catchy. Yeah. You and Save Me has always been one of my favorites. Yes. Yeah. That live uh, that you guys did, on is that on North America 2016? One of the one of the two live albums, there's that a version of You Save, Save Me, Me on it. Yeah, yeah I think I think it actually popped up on my shuffle today while I was driving here. And I, I don't think I ever heard it. It's like 11 minutes, and it's just amazing. Yeah. It starts off so slow, and uh, you guys just crank it out. But yeah, that's one of those songs that now with John Dee's on keys, it's gotten, it's gotten its wings. It's yeah. All right, I'm just trying to Baby find in another here. town. That was yeah. Oh yeah. Well, let's. A, you want to get into this? That was a song by a. Uh, a Do you Gaines, have a baby a in Gainesville, another town? A Gainesville band called Contraband, and. Uh, 
I think a couple of bands have been called Country Band. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> it's like not not the most original name. And that was um, the name of it. That was the name of a song. Um, no, I'm not going to get into the story. My wife will kick my ass if I tell that story. Life <laughs> uh, Yoga. It's. Uh, <laughs> she also hates that song. <laughs> Maybe she sent that. Oh yeah, perhaps maybe she did. <laughs> Lovely Lisa. Who's one of your big like blues? In, are you into the blues a lot? I mean, I know Gary's um, sound is completely shifted from you know the initially being labeled as the savior I'm, of the I'm blues. Definitely not as much of a blues head as the other guys in the band. Jimmy Rush is Gary's big guy. Yeah. Um, I mean, all of them. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's a he's a big. You know, all the kings, Freddie King, BB King, Abba King. Um, but um, I honestly learned, have learned more about the blues through Memphis Soul, Stax Records. Um, that's kind of my bridge to the blues. Um, and hip hop samples, mm-hmm. 90s, 90s hip hop samples. Huge. But uh, I'm, I'm the least blues guy out of the band, which I think lent to me getting the gig in the early days, because I don't, you I, was, I would assume and say that that Gary maybe didn't want somebody who was completely a blues player. Sure. Because there's way better blues drummers in Austin than me. <laughs> um, you're friends with Tony Coleman, right? Yeah. TC. Oh man, that guy, that guy's all heart, dude. He played on. He wrote on. I worked. Tony with Coleman the, was was uh, BB's drummer, by the oh, way. Oh yeah, BB King's drummer. Yeah. Rest in peace. Um, he played on the Michael Williams Band album Fire Red, which Eddie Kramer recorded. I don't think it was cut in here, but Eddie Kramer was uh, Jimi Hendrix's engineer, producer, and uh, he's probably one of the sweetest guys ever. He lives up in Seattle, I think, or Portland. Okay. Um, but is he still touring with anyone else now? Tony Coleman? Yeah. I just saw him at that, cross, at that Crossroads Blues. Oh, yeah, in Dallas. That's in, I think he sat in with, with Clapton that night. Um I'm not sure what he's doing. You know, I was surprised to see him there. Um, that dude is so awesome to me and Gary. When whenever he sees us, he like, you know, he like recently at, at New Orleans Jazz Fest, he w- came into our trailer 20 minutes before we we were gonna go on stage and like threw some weight on our shoulders. He was like, "You guys are, you know, you got to continue this." this thing now that BB's gone <laughs> oh. it's like you know got heavy with us and like you know it's super inspirational and he's that dude is all heart man yeah very just a nice person considerate nice person uh, I mean, incredible from, drummer I was in the studio with him and then I've seen him a couple times uh, at various places but super nice and talking about Memphis and also TC um Rod Bland, Bobby Blue oh, Bland's yeah. son. He's my friend, your Shout friend. Shout out to Rod Bland. He's awesome, man, that guy. Um, you know, his father, one of my top five albums is Dreamer by Bobby Blue Bland. Mm-hmm. I think that's, and you see so much of that sound representative in Gary's music, too. Um, yeah. Kind of Curtis Is that Mayfield. the album with Yolanda on it? It's got uh, Something's Going Down in the City. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's um, got y- y- Yolanda, which is my favorite Bobby Blue Bland song, yeah. And um, yeah. yeah, that's the, that's the record I know the most of his too. Yeah, yeah, well, he did the cover of everyone thinks he did Stormy Monday originally, but uh, 
there's so many versions of that. I forget who originally wrote that, but um, you know, it's nice. I, a lot of fans don't know this, and kind of, you know, if you kept Gary encapsulated in the blues, you wouldn't get these feeling like a million or uh, what's the punk right. rock song you guys do now? Oh yeah, <laughs> got to get into something. <laughs> got to get into something. Yeah, God, that's so cool. That's I mean, actually one of my favorites to play now too. And it's so refreshing, but probably as a live all performer. All this shit is blues, like to me, yeah. like well, music all, in general is like everything. Everything's steeped so heavy in the blues, you know. Um, yeah, you know, there's a lot. There's there's the blues police out there that um, <laughs> is gonna want to hear blues the way you know. and these groups on the internet now everybody has a voice and they know what's best for yeah. everybody because they sit at home and you know a couple albert king tunes on guitar right. <laughs> but you know if you know if you're the kind of person that sits at home and listens to nothing but the blues and then goes out and does other stuff that's one thing but you know well they throw the weight also on people like Gary because it's they want a, him to do things for their musical taste. Like you're supposed right. to be doing blues now. Why are you playing these hip hop uh, licks or you know why are you doing ballads or um, which I I hate when people try to encapsulate artists. They he, hate when they don't grow and they hate when they do. He listens to all that shit. How do you expect him not to go there? You know. When uh, he completes the album, then you guys. Uh, I mean, you write on a few songs here and there and. Uh, there's guest uh, performers that come in. Mm -hmm. Do you guys go in the studio then and just rehearse for a few days it's before you hit the worked, road? Or? It's kind of worked differently for every record. Um, for this one, we did do some some pre-touring work, rehearsal work now that Gary's got a space. Um, when we were off last winter, um, we did do some work. In the past, Like we... We've rehearsed more this year than we have collectively over the last nine years. Like we were, we were going on maybe one or two rehearsals a year, <laughs> just because the amount of music you're having and the amount of tour time. I mean, we, you know, our rehearsals become sound checks. Do you guys or, try or, things or out? Rather, for... our sound checks become rehearsals. Do you guys mess around with different songs and stuff that he's working on? I mean, a lot of songs are written in sound checks. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. Do you not have time to do that, or? I, yeah, everything. Yeah, that's that's you know sound check. Especially you know, I just I explained to you our our tour day, our day to day. So sometimes sound check is the like the most fun part of the day because you kind of been, been cooped up in a hotel room or a bus, and you get out and You're at the Greek theater looking yeah, all over. Yeah, exactly. The beautiful uh, nature of that park. What's your, you think Red Rocks is your f favorite uh, venue in America? Definitely. By. Definitely. What's just real quick? I want to talk about Stubbs. What um, is that? The, like the I had never been there before. I saw you guys just down there. Is that just a fun amphitheater bar restaurant? I mean, there's like barbecue going on. Yeah, you know, that's like I, premier. Before Austin. I moved to Austin, I knew of Stubbs because their barbecue sauce was sold all over the South. Um, I didn't even know it was. Honestly, didn't know it was a venue till there were a couple. Of, popular live records in Cut the early Stubbs. 2000s that came out from Stubbs. One of them was, fails me, but it, the, oh, the Modest Yahoo had like a hit. You remember that guy? The, yeah. yeah. Um, he had a hit, and it was live at Stubbs, and it was like a radio hit. Um, 
I remember moving to Austin and be like, oh, Stubbs is this huge outdoor venue. Um, not huge, um, but it's, yeah, it's a great place. You've seen a show that, you've seen a couple shows there, right? Yeah. Um, also, did, I saw you pop up, you and Gary in the group in Zapata, and I think Johnny Bradley in the movie Chef with John oh, yeah. Favreau. What a yeah. great film, one. Two, that goes back to those, these cool things that you get to be a part of. And yeah. That was probably four or five years ago now, yeah, but that was at film. Stubbs. And they picked that that film. That was at, that was at actually at... That um, Spanish place, right? At Gross. Yep. Okay. On South Congress. That was a, um, such a cool scene, cool song, yeah. cool everything. I like how he did that movie. I like how he did... And, and it hits home for me in like Miami in one oh, yeah. scene. And the place he films in Miami, Oikomayet, is... Like just a badass place. They still to little this Havana. day have like little Havana, and they do they do jams there on Thursday night. Um, DJ Lispam does this thing where it's like a combination of b boy music and Afro Cuban stuff, and like break dancers come out, and then like pro salsa dancers also come out, and it's it's a scene. He he did some good research at finding the scenes in every city. Had in that very movie. authentic. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just a great story yeah, rebirth, about father son. Rebirth brass band New Orleans and were they and I think in the, the Maple Leaf maybe? Yeah, because they go to Miami to New Orleans, mm -hmm. then to Austin to you guys. How does uh, do you know the process of like was he a Gary fan or because he directed, wrote that, um, starred in yeah, it? Yeah, there was there was some other. I remember. I want to say we did something or met him before that. I forget how that all exactly came together, but there was a there was a little bit of a history there. And you um, guys are like the premier Austin act right now, obviously too. Yeah, and I'm sure he was like looking for each city. Like I said, he was looking to see what if he could pinpoint one thing, one place, one sound, you know. And he nailed. I thought he after working, you know, like I said before, I'm trying to supplement my musician or lack of musician income. Um, working at restaurants, like they nailed the whole restaurant vibe. The, oh, you know, yeah. the first part of the movie before he loses the shit. And <laughs> <laughs> Did you guys ever come across Anthony Bourdain anywhere? No, I wish. Yeah, yeah. legend. Mm, I thought yeah. definitely he would have he would have been at your shows or something. Who's one of the coolest people? Uh, no, I would have I would have definitely taken note had I heard that name thrown thrown out or you know. For some reason, somebody always makes a mistake of telling us who's on the guest list before a show, which I'm like, why are you telling us this? Like, fuck, Paul McCarthy's going to be here? I don't want to know that. Oh, man. <laughs> Where was Paul? What or even like Dave Grohl that night you were talking about. I'm like, I don't want to know he's going to fucking, one of my favorite drummers is going to be in the I don't. But, um, yeah, I would have remembered Anthony Bourdain. Um, Where did Paul McCartney see you guys at? A few times. Um, but I remember the first time specifically, like somebody at like three o'clock in the afternoon told us him and Roger Waters were going to be there. Oh God! Why? <laughs> Together. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We got a we got a good picture, and this was maybe our second summer of touring. We got a good picture with um, the four of us and uh, Roger Waters and Paul McCartney side to side, which you don't see many pictures of them too. Um, it seems Gary's incredibly humble about this whole experience too. He's just when you hear him oh, in yeah, interviews, yeah. he's just everyone, even Matthew Batone, we discussed him a little bit uh, when he was over there shooting Lenny Kravitz and you guys, and he's like he's just one of the nicest people, yeah. and um, 
you know, it's just uh, it's good to see that in this current environment of our country and social media yeah. and all the other bullshit that goes I along. I think with he he really realizes, or well, he grew up around so many great guitar players that I don't think it registers to him how how once in a once in a blue moon kind of musician he is you know well also just the savior of music for young people i think i mean he does you know he's bringing blues back in some uh respect but also it's just a fun musician to have at this time right now because yeah. they're so oversaturated with bullshit music that's you know ghost written by 40 different people and it's, he's so authentic and like i said you guys are the coolest looking band um, when you're on stage with, you know, I call you Johnny the Arms oh, Radelax. He, he, he definitely sleeves. is a cool looking motherfucker. Oh, <laughs> That's God. another thing. Which well, is and like, John Varvatos. I'm not going to lie. To me, a, a, aesthetics of music are a huge part of it also. Sure. And like, you know, like <laughs> not, not just looking good, but like looking like natural, like there's a natural energy coming from a person. Yeah. I feel like Gary's got that like. Yeah, he doesn't. Um, I'm, I'm sure everybody gets nervous, but I mean, if you watch any live footage of him, I mean, it's just you feel that shit. It's uh, even through a YouTube video. I mean, it's like wow. And everybody, I've turned so many people on to him, and they like the album, even if they're not huge music lovers. But then when they go see him live and see you guys perform all these songs and the energy and how good his voice is and how solid the drums are and John Key's added now and it's just like holy shit you gotta go see this guy oh, thank you man I mean I um, like we thank say you. all the time I'm surprised we get away with the shit we do on stage <laughs> is Johnny Rattles Johnny Rattlesnake or is it Johnny Cobra <laughs> your nickname Rattlesnake okay yeah and then Rattlefish is you uh, and your lovely wife together yeah. Rattlesnake came from uh, your name. Some friends in uh, who are now in Cincinnati, but Dietrich Jones in in Austin. That was his. That was his thing. Does not having sleeves make it easier to drum? Yes, it does. <laughs> <laughs> Is it? I honestly, that's it. It's whenever I get on stage with sleeves on, I'm always like, oh god, why did I do this? <laughs> Did GQ approach you? Is this true? GQ approached you because you had the best arms in live music. <laughs> Johnny the Arms Rattlet. I heard that. Actually, the first that first that Bonnaroo Buzz tour we went on. The first tour we went on, we had a comedian that would do fifteen minute slots between the sets. Um, Who was it? Julian. He's a great comedy writer, and and he did great stand up. Um, fuck, I I'm not going to remember his last name right now. He works in LA a lot. You, you'd see him probably see him at the at the store. Oh yeah. Um, he called me Lady Gaga arms <laughs> between one of, during one of his bits. <laughs> why, why is Lady Gaga? Because and then I was like, I don't even get that. And then I saw Lady Gaga performance, and she has <laughs> like, um, yeah, great arms. She has great arms. <laughs> <laughs> Johnny Gaga rattled it. All right, man. Well, cool. I uh, you know continued success for you. It's very exciting stuff, and I'm oh, you know you. so grateful thank for you, you to come in here. We can have a nice discussion hey. and just uh, you know give hope and insight to the drummers that are still out there. You know, waiting tables and waiting for their moments. And hey, man. What would you say to drummers that are still? You know, I went to Musicians Institute right up the road here, and uh, initially when I came out here, and you know, all my friends are coming out here or going here, mm -hmm. just trying to get in the music or what do you, what, what would you suggest is, you know, I'd say to specifically to drummers, um, 
don't think about it as playing drums, play music, mm -hmm. be a musician, not a drummer. Because, you know, there's a lot of, especially nowadays, and this is what, this goes right around to what I was going to ask you before, what you thought of. We were talking about communities of, of, of music and music scenes and how like now everything's kind of fractured a little bit, especially in a city like LA. And you have like Instagram musicians now, like people that just bust out chops and you know have tens of thousands of followers posting videos every day of just chops. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't necessarily think that makes you a better musician, uh, but yeah, back to what, Back to advice. Um, yeah, but be a musician. Like, think of, you know, this is obvious, but it's you can't say it enough. Like, think of the song, not the drum part. Um, and, you know, take in all sorts of music, you know, take in everything. Um, and don't just listen to it and like it, like, learn where it came from and what came before that and what came before that and what bridges gap certain styles and um be universal also with your playing be able yeah to and like the ability to to dabble in country outside music, your comfort zone cover tunes like, country music yeah all sorts of, like i like like you should always be searching for what you can't do and what's foreign to you um Two, uh, two drummers that I've met before and I've talked about drumming, Danny Carey from Tool, who is a jazz drummer, mm -hmm. and then uh, Jimmy Chamberlain from The Smashing Pumpkins. Oh, I saw that, dude. Gosh. Um, another jazz drummer. And, yeah, Jimmy Chamberlain is insane. And Gish, yeah. uh, their first album, the I Am One to Snail to, I mean, the drum parts on that are just, those rolls, too, are like Peter yeah. Chris. Um, yeah, I mean, I've, that's, I had a two-hour conversation at a bar a couple weeks ago with my friend Barry in San Antonio about Chamberlain and, and the drumming on that and Siamese Dreams. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's uh, it's incredible. That uh, I think uh, that whole band and you know back to '90s music videos and stuff was a uh, really worked then, and uh, it was open for musicians to do different things too. I think it's a lot. You have to be you're probably tamed a lot now, or uh, maybe that's not the correct word, but you're, it's all about the song, right? Yeah. It's not about a band, maybe? Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. I mean, that was a good gap in, in music history where it became, <clears throat> where things kind of after the 80s got weird, things kind of came back to like a little bit more roots mentality. Yeah, yeah. Music bands. and bands and yeah. Everyone having um, a role. Well, yeah, that's you know another piece of advice. I would. It took me. It took me moving to Austin to learn. I've always been a band guy, and always like until I moved to Austin, I was like, "This is my band right now. This is what I do." And Austin taught me to like live in the moment, kind of move around. You know, spread yourself a little thinner than one band maybe, while you're trying to make something happen. And um. Keep playing. And just keep fucking playing. Like, you know, most likely nothing's going to come of it. I hate to say that, oh, but yeah. that's, that's the reality of this industry. But if you love it, who cares? And, you know. Exactly. Wow. I can't say that, that you know, 
not that I don't appreciate the position I'm in and the, the gigs I get to do now, but I can't say that they're that much more fun or invigorating than when I was playing for, for two bartenders and a table of people who loved what we were doing. Yeah, um, you hear a lot of caliber uh, players like you say they enjoy that time more. Yeah, yeah, uh, sometimes, yeah. I, I mean, you know, when you, you get to doing that many dates a year and big venues, you, you know, you get kind of, um, you, you know, you get overstimulated, overstimulated to all that and you might lose something. I don't, I don't, I can't necessarily, I don't think I've lost it, but I can't say that it's, you know, that playing Red Rocks is more, any more satisfying than a good night playing for 30 people at a small yeah, club. Yeah. You, you don't know? know when these moments are going to happen too on yeah. stage where you're really in sync and yeah. As they say, mm, in the yeah. pocket or the energy. Sleep comfortably knowing you're you're giving it your best shot. And, and You said it best. You know, if you love it, then who cares? There's yeah. a great line, and I'll close with this. At the end of a movie called, which I think they filmed in this room as well, it's Tom Hanks' film called That Thing You Do. Mm -hmm. Have you I heard that? that it's about yeah. the, the wonders or the O'Neaters. Yeah, shades. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the fictional character, Del Paxson, at the end of it is the, the drummer, the lead in the film, He's obsessed with this old jazz player called Del mm -hmm. Paxton, and he goes and meets him at the Dresden right down there uh, outside the Greek oh, theater. Really? Is that right down the street? That's where they yeah. filmed that. That's like actually a great jazz bar, too. You should yeah. go check it out. Um, but he says, man, because he's going to quit the wonders, and he goes, you just got to keep playing. He yeah. goes, it doesn't matter with who. Just keep playing. Mr. Radelet, continue success. Thank you Thank so you, much man. for giving us Thank your you. time. I appreciate it, brother. I'm trying to think of anything else I got here for you. Any questions for uh, me, Johnny? <laughs> Just kidding. When you're hanging on by the skin of your teeth. Any little I can make you feel so free 